Welcome back to the Smart Nonsense Podcast. I'm Henry. That is Dylan. This is episode number 25, and we still are talking about self-development, entrepreneurship, and challenging norms. Right off the bat, Dylan, I'm leaving What to start a podcast vlog just about how I get to these podcasts every day. You have no idea <laughs> what my mornings look like, particularly on Fridays <laughs> to get to these, but I'm happy to be here. All right. Before I, I do want to break down what kind of madness you were into, but just in case anyone's going to listen for 30 seconds and then tap out today, yeah, yeah. we're talking about Kevin Kelly on the Tim Ferriss show deep in the game. I mean, this was one of the OG podcasts from Tim before it blew up and, uh, and man, it's just got a bunch of goodies inside of it. A lot of what we've been preaching just summed up with a nice bow on top. So we're going to do our little breakdown, but first Belky, why were you in Wisconsin this morning? I was in Wisconsin this morning because you told me last night we were going to talk about Kevin Kelly. No, it was midday. And I said, I cannot effectively talk about my favorite thing Kevin Kelly talks about, which is voluntary simplicity, if I am not practicing mm -hmm. voluntary simplicity. So I went out this morning and I bought a sprinter van and I'm converting <laughs> it into a tiny. <laughs> uh, no, I was picking up this sprinter van Athena and I have been planning this for a long time. It's not that impulsive, but the van came up yesterday. They have been few and far between as people are going back to work. And so that's where I was. And we made it. I was waiting all morning for the wire to go through because banks are closed. I couldn't get the cash. Here we are. Wow. He is off his rocker, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I got the jitters. I haven't eaten, but I'm so excited. It's, it's, it's amazing because all morning, right? I'm doing this awesome life thing. We basically bought a house together, but this is such a habit, right? That I'm like, I got to be back for noon and everything fell into place this morning. And I was here at 12.02 PM. It's Parkinson's law day after day. I can't make this up. Did Sorry. you, were you driving back in the Sprinter van? Where do you have it currently? It's sitting right outside. Um, <laughs> I was in the Sprinter. It doesn't go faster than 70 miles an hour. I'm a little bit worried. It has a V6. That's probably why. And Athena was following me in our car. Um, and by our car, I mean my dad's car. So it's been quite the morning. Let's talk about Kevin Kelly on Tim Ferriss. I listen to all three. I don't have notes. You're going to have to lead here. But um, I live this stuff and uh, I'm excited. I well, really what? want to get to the Amish bit because that just cracked me up. Uh, I think it was in part two. <laughs> Are we doing yeah. all three parts? Yeah, let's let's just do all three. Maybe we'll run along. Maybe not. There's just a couple of key takeaways, but they're so powerful that we just want to hammer them home. I mean, can we, we first can... talk about the semicolon? That's at the beginning of episode one. Do you even remember? Uh, the semicolon? No, what are you talking Basically, about? Basically, it just says like the semicolon, he has some quote, is just like the bane of existence. All it does is show that you're educated and went to an Ivy League school. And I found myself using semicolons all the time. My dad uses semicolons all the time. And I just cut that habit because it is kind of a joke. You got to use the EM dash. Mm -hmm. Can't go wrong with that. It looks so <laughs> sexy. So, all right. First thing, right out of the gate, you're already learning some lessons on writing. Actually, while we're talking about that, he did mention too, writing. They had some study of, I think it was kids in school, but they, they had them do like an email versus writing an essay. And then they had teachers score their writing. I think it was students, but it could have been older people as well. And by far, the emails, which were supposed to be just kind of like off the cuff, just writing to a friend, were significantly better pieces of writing 
than the essays, which were supposed to be formal and lofty and semicolon filled. So just a cool lesson right out of the gate of, all right, be, have a little nonsense in your writing, like take it, don't take it so formal and seriously. I thought they were saying, um, they were comparing essays, like in-class essays and emails. And what they found were people were better writers in emails because they had to just like quickly whip them off. Did I hear that wrong? I mean, that was, I don't know if it was the quickness. I think it was just lack of formality, trying to like look up synonyms that sound smarter. So you're saying it, they were worse writers for the school essay? They were. What is that? I hear a little cat in the background. <laughs> what? That, Maybe I missed this. Wait, did you ever see, I'm going to link this in the show notes just because I think it's funny. You ever see the, the Family Guy Ambulances National Geographic video? Oh man, that's a gem. That's a Link gem it, where baby. they narrate. Like, Link you know it. how they have all the um, Africa or whatever the Nat Geo, like, oh, we're, we're observing the caribou. Yeah, David Attenborough. Oh. Planet yeah, Earth. yeah. So they're just doing a mock of that, but it's, it's ambulances in the wild. <laughs> so it's just like the ambulance is stalking its prey. And it's just like, oh, the ambulance sees the antelope. Look, it chases after it. And, it, and it's uh, chasing I an antelope? I don't know why. But that was a, a fire truck that went by. That's why my mind's rushing there. And that's the nonsense. <laughs> that's the nonsense. Um, but but yeah, it's like people try and have too much structure, try and sound pretentious, and it just comes off having the opposite effect. You just sound dumber. Yeah. And it was cool too, because Tim Ferriss was talking about right after that, how he wrote the four-hour work week. And at first he was like, it was this really highfalutin Ivy League thing. It sucked. And then I went to the other extreme and it was uh, too slapstick. And so I settled somewhere in the middle, which was in, he was like, I just treated it like an email to a friend after drinking two glasses of wine. And it helped him write quickly and effectively. And also it, it wasn't bogged down by the crap. I, you must have a lot of experience with this. Um, I know like you put together a blog post. It came to me. I was like, ah, it doesn't sound like you. And then you took it the other way. And I don't know where, it, I think you ended up posting it, but I mean, I'm still I'm still trying to find the sweet spot. I think that's with everything. Like you you hit the extremes and then somewhere the equilibrium lies and you're you just with more iterations you'll get to it. But I think Henry's referring to the thank you letter blog post that I put out and it sounded too sales copy like because I was reading a lot of that. So I just had to kind of rewrite it as if it were an email. Still finding my way, but it is funny because Tim Ferriss actually his process for writing books it'll be late night and he'll actually be drinking wine and just writing away with like something on the TV in the background. So for what it's worth, like some of my best piano playing has come from having a few drinks. It's like sometimes you just bring too much inhibition to the table. I mean, this is why a lot of people drink, right? But um, especially when it comes to performance, maybe it's performing in the act of writing, maybe it's piano, maybe it's something else. But that naysaying in your mind is what stops you from doing so much. And I like Tim Ferriss saying, you know, it's like writing an email after having two glasses of wine. It should just be easy. We, we're human. It should just be easy. I mean, it, it goes to even what we've talked about before with, say, language learning, too. If you have a couple glasses of wine, like you're, you're more liberal with kind of what you're okay with saying. And I, I'm trying to be too academic, like, oh, my God, why, I didn't have a semicolon in that Spanish sentence or whatever. And it's just like throw it out there. And uh, and the more you just in. don't care about the judgment, just throw, throw, throw it out there, the more you're learning, especially in language. I've seen it, you know, with you and in, in our travels is 
when you're thinking way too hard, you end up speaking like no Spanish. And when you've had a few drinks, you're conversing with people around us and you're probably learning way more. It's Very interesting. Rare. Actually <laughs> interesting there because I don't, I don't really drink or do drugs or anything like that. Kevin Kelly, he was, he grew up in the hippie. He's like, uh, I don't know, he's probably our parents' age. So he's in his 60s, maybe 70s now. But he never smoked or, or maybe he smoked, but he never did like acid or anything like that for a while until his 50th birthday. And that's when he had this sort of moment of just trying to see its power and not like, not an abusive way, just an experimental way. Yeah. Yeah. To take him out of like this frame of reference where he thinks he knows everything and knows himself. It's like, what kind of higher order might there be? And he did it in a really like um, specific manner. Yeah. So I don't know. I just connected on that level. I don't really want to get into that, but what's. Look, look, wait. Wait, I have a moth. All right, I think Henry's tripping right now. Uh, <laughs> it was a moth, but it's sitting on my desk. Okay. So, all right, Sprinter Van, let's circle back to that because... Voluntary simplicity, I here think, we go. Yeah, that's the number one takeaway we had originally. Uh, what First, what is the Sprinter Van? Like, what is that supposed to mean? How does that connect to the voluntary simplicity? Should we define it first? We have before. It's basically like, okay, you're in your 20s. We have no dependence. We have very little responsibility. You shouldn't have it all figured out. So Kevin Kelly's point is like, take risks, do crazy, do the extremes, figure out what you like, figure out what you're passionate about. You don't know this stuff yet. You're 20. And um, the beauty of it, so he calls, yeah. And and when he says, if you're living in, in that kind of realm, then you're also going to become content with like the simpler parts of life. And when you realize that you can live with a backpack and a pack of ramen and be content is when, at least he thinks, you know, you've found this inner peace, you've, you've made it in a sense. Um, and he calls that voluntary simplicity, which is why I think our, our travel is so cool. You know, we're staying in $10 a night hostels, we're backpacking, we're, you know, we're not staying in these lavish places that are comfortable. We're just like figuring things out and we're comfortable with not having a lot. He even says like, uh, mandatory poverty is a terrible thing, but voluntary poverty is, can be a really powerful thing, especially for a lot of people like us that have never experienced that, right? We've experienced on the side of a mountain in Peru, what it's like to be very low on water and food, um, be dirty and stinky and have no Wi-Fi and no way to call anybody for help. We've experienced that. It's a really powerful thing. And um, and he also recommends building your own home. Like that's something you should do and know how to do. Um, and what better time to do that than in your 20s? So we bought this van. We're going to live out of it for a year or two next year when Athena graduates. And um, for us, that's like we feel like just a really good way to dive into our mid and late 20s not having these super high standards, right? If we can live together crammed in a van without electricity all the time, without good internet, without a shower every day, then I think we're going to set ourselves up for really powerful things after that. Not to mention, I think it's a good investment personally. You know, we got the van for a good deal. It's a 2006 van. Um, It's depreciated probably as far as it's going to. We're going to renovate the thing. And maybe we can turn the 10 grand we have into the van into 30 on the back end. 
Um, so there are a lot of reasons we did it. We're not going to be paying rent. We're going to be paying towards this asset we own. Uh, I've actually come around a bit on your rent thing. So I used to be big into buying a house and uh, Dylan was big renter. I thought that was just lighting money on fire, throwing it away. There are a lot of home expenses, property taxes, especially in my town that, that people don't account for, but that's a whole different podcast. So we're going to be living simply. And um, I think that's a good footing to to start our 20s. I want to, just while we're on the topic, I, I do like this one quote that I think about a lot where rent is the highest price you'll ever pay for your home. Whereas the mortgage is the lowest price you'll ever pay. Because you'll always have these extra fees like, oh, something breaks or you need a new ah. roof or whatever. Whereas rent, you just tell the landlord like, hey, dude, the toilet's broken. Can you I didn't get it? that the first time. The first yeah. time you sent it to me. I yeah. thought it was in agreement with my belief of, of buying a house is a good investment. Really not. It, it could be, but there are all these costs that could come up. Yeah. Whatever. You have a van. Maybe it'll break down. But honestly, it can't be that expensive. You're a handyman now. I, I do want to talk about that as well because that's Kevin Kelly. He's like, all right, if you can build your own house, then what are you scared of? There's literally like... Oh my gosh. That's what building my parents' garage taught me. Every single day was a different challenge. It was a mess. It cost me a bunch of money. It was hard. But when I did that, I was like, holy crap, the world is my oyster. I can build and do anything. What a lucky position to be in. Um, and I think a lot of people have fear for doing something like the van where, and I had this, but I've bought a few cars in the past. I got over that fear is like, okay, what if driving home, this thing breaks down? Well, full disclosure, we paid 5,500 for it. It's worth something around that in scrap. Like it's, it's not the end of the world. If, if something happens, my mom thinks if it breaks, it's worth $0 tomorrow. And like, that's not true. And if you can get over that fear, like even just the engine in there is worth $4,500. Um, it's a low mileage, but but uh, so much of it is fear and not knowing, especially in my mom's case, because she doesn't fix things and tinker. She doesn't really know like what happens when things break. And if you realize that you have Google and YouTube and parts suppliers online and like every resource on your side, you can literally do anything. It's 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 a really powerful thing. In case you aren't following Henry and his workshop build, and True. he had his garage build, check that out. We'll, we'll link the most recent video uh, on Henry Belcaster YouTube channel. But it, it's sick. Like, I didn't know you had these talents. I don't know if they recently came about. I didn't. But... <laughs> I didn't. I just dove in. I bought the tools I needed, and I practiced and practiced and practiced every single day. Um, it's important, too, when it comes to physical builds, everything's correctable. Nothing's permanent. Nothing's going to fit perfectly. Nothing's going to be perfect. It's such a good example of just settling for 80%. Uh, you'll see my, I got a vlog coming out today, which I haven't edited. And you'll see at least like things aren't perfect, but it's functional. And I'd, I'd rather do things quickly at 80% than spend a lifetime at 100%. You also had a video on Wednesday, this past Wednesday. Exactly. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. What are like the top five takeaways from, I forget the title, like. Let's link that. Craftsmanship. Yeah. One of the the great ones that I thought, and I was talking with the buddy I'm staying with right now. Uh, the buddy. Like, <laughs> maybe you saw him on a Really quick. Podcast. It was um, five reasons to learn to be a carpenter. Why I think anybody should learn carpentry. And this extends like the, the message I got because he was saying like, oh, who's going to 
be a carpenter. Like this is a very small audience, but I, I like the broad reach of it. It's like learn something yourself. Maybe you learn how to build a house or part of a house, whatever, so that when you do need to hire someone to do it, which is actually his recommendation later on, is like have people do it for you. Now you know when you're going to get screwed or what to look for. Like you know exactly how to hire the best. And I think that's a critical lesson just to experiment yourself. Unfortunately, I, I just, I hate building things. I'm, I'm surrounded by people like my my stepdad had built literally his own house. He built my dad's house actually. So I'm surrounded by handymen, but I just have your no- Your stepdad built your dad's house? Yeah, it's- We got to do a podcast on that, baby. <laughs> Is that Rick? That's Slick Rick. And um, Rick, well, Rick emails me to slap you around a little more. So yeah. Um, yeah. Rick, if you're listening to this, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> so, yeah, I think there's a lot of merit there. And clearly, you just learn through YouTube and Google and, and exactly. Kevin and Kelly. Trial and error. Exactly. He says, just dabble with a lot. He's, he has a whole two-story two library of just how-to books and other interesting books he's accrued over the years. And that's it. Like, just be the master dabbler. And we talked about this yesterday with John Day, or I guess two days ago about just just dabble like just try a lot of stuff right uh because it i I think i liked best like what sunk in for me was when kevin kelly's like he he started wired i don't know if we mentioned this he co-founded wired magazine hopefully we mentioned this otherwise (laughs) you're like who the fuck is this guy but he's he co-founded wired that's his namesake but he he also has uh just a lot of other projects on the side. He has the inevitable great book, but he's saying how he has wired. He has all these interns come in right out of college and like, Oh yeah, we, we love it. And they just dive head first. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, why are you working for me as if you need this completely stable job and you're, and you're doing what he calls, well, not he calls, but they call premature optimization oh, of, yeah. of just like, if you're not a coder, I'm not a coder, but, um, Anywhere that anyone that knows that it's basically like you you write some software to do something, but maybe people don't want it, and you're just spending all your time making sure it's the best of the best of the best, and then you release it to the market, and people don't give a fuck. So sorry, I'm swearing again, but uh, so these are important swears. <laughs> yeah. So why, like, maybe Kevin, that's Ke- not- Kevin Kelly didn't get a real job till he was like 35, and it was a volunteer position, right, for ten dollars an hour. Yeah. At 35. Can you, I don't know how his parents put up with that, but he, I think he was, he was smart out of the gate. Like he talked about thinking about going to MIT, but then deciding not to go to college at all or dropping out and going to East Asia and just backpacking around and and just exploring a a world that he never even imagined existed before because he was so closed off. And I do want to talk about that too, because I'm, I'm in my hometown right now and I know a lot of people that haven't seen hardly anything outside of Rhode Island. It blows my mind. This is a big one for me. I forget who he asked, but people are like, oh, I'm saving and saving and saving for this trip to to Thailand. And they're like, he asked someone, well, if you had a million dollars, what would you do? And they're like, I'd go on a motorcycle trip around Thailand. You don't need a million dollars to do that. You can be a janitor. (laughs) Yes. And go do that. Yes. So that's what Kevin Kelly was doing in Asia. He was he was like, I made enough money in his little positions after two months to live there for two years. Um, the notion that you want to retire in the States with a million dollars to motorcycle through Asia, just do it now. 
do it now. It's not that expensive. And if you have a million dollars, you're going to spend a million dollars doing it when you could do it for three grand. I oh I my. love this so much because I remember like freshman year, I, I first started getting into this because a friend was like, oh, uh, I, I lived in Panama and just studied for like a couple months or something. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. And I, I think I asked a couple friends. I'm like, hey, you guys want to go to Panama with me? And they're like, no. I'm like, all right. So I just... I just went by myself. I'm like, whatever, Stupid 18 years dad. old. I'm like, I'll just go figure it out. And dude, it's, it's crazy. Like I ended up spending, I was there a month, spent like less than two grand. Um, not much at all. Just living in these hostels and you, you go on these crazy experiences and you see right to your left and right are all these old people on these little tour groups. And you're like, dude, that looks like the shittiest experience. Like we went to Kilimanjaro recently and there are all these old people. Some of them couldn't make it up the mountain. It just looked it just didn't look fun. Like I'd rather do this when I'm young and we can be the first ones up the mountain and, and have a lifetime of these stories to compound. Like that's one thing that isn't stressed a lot. Like there's the compound interest that you can build in your bank account. But what about the compound interest of the stories you tell? Like I can now tell this Kilimanjaro story every single year to someone new and, for the rest yeah. of my life. And these are also, it's like an investment in life experience that I take every single bit and piece of culture and travel and like dialect to some extent that we experience in these places. And I bring them to my everyday life and things I'm doing and starting and people I'm thinking about. It's just so important. There's, there's obviously merit to both sides of this world, right? I kudos to you. If you've worked until you're 65 without a vacation and now you're doing the thing. Um, I just don't see life that way. Who knows if you're going to live to 65? right? We're alive today. We're in good health today. Um, actually, this was on that Kilimanjaro trip. I took the ashes of a good friend, a, a neighbor of mine who passed away uh, from a battle with cancer. And um, he and his wife had gone to Kilimanjaro, uh, fortunately for them. Uh, but, you know, this this thing kind of came out of nowhere. He was in his 40s. And to be saving and saving and saving for this big travel adventure with your partner or alone when you retire, when that's not necessarily a given, I just can't get behind, like live right now today in the present, do what you can with what you can um, and just get outside. I, part of the problem is I listen to so many podcasts that I forget where they come from sometimes. Yeah. But I was listening to this one recently and it was this And they're all and picking off of each other, by the way. I know a lot of just... I don't know, confirmation bias stuff, but whatever. I think it was this couple, this married couple, the, the husband and the wife wanted to travel, like, right? They kept saving for years and years and years to do this one amazing experience together. And then out of the blue, the husband dies. And now the wife feels guilty to spend this money at all. So she doesn't mm. know what to do with it and just decides to never go on that trip. And, and she's like, why are you postponing? This I don't thing? want to analogize it like this, but I'm going to because it's something we've talked about. It's like putting your $6,000 a year into a Roth IRA, but then not picking any positions because you forget that it's just a cash account. Which I did for five years. Yeah, and I almost did. Uh, and luckily, I asked you. Um, your experiences and your relationships are an investment. Kevin Kelly even says, you know, if it's friends and money, I pick friends. If it's work and time, I pick time. That's stuff you can't get back. And to save and save and save for when you retire, again, kudos. But if you don't do any of that living, 
Tim Ferriss preaches taking like mini sabbaticals and uh, what does he call mini retirements every six months or every six years or whatever. If you're not doing that stuff, you're kind of just like setting money aside or setting your relationships and experiences aside and not actually investing them in, in anything. And I think that's a big loss. What, I mean, there's so much here, but I want to send this I think, to Kevin Kelly too. Kevin, you're going to hear this. And uh, I, it, it's crazy. Like that's the thing with podcasts. Like this was shot maybe in 2015 or something like that. It was shot a while ago. Cause it was the beginning of Tim's podcast. And that's the thing. We just listened to it a couple of months ago. We stumbled upon it and it's, it's completely changed our life. It's now Athena's life is, is opening up. I'm sure like, yeah, she loved family. it. She loved hearing it for the first time. Partly because Kevin Kelly ended up marrying uh, a Chinese woman. And so he'll not, no, no, no. I'm not saying like that's, that's okay. Whatever. I didn't even know maybe, that. Maybe they connected better because of that. I think unless I'm, I'm mixing podcasts, but he, he goes back. Is there someone else? I, I hope we didn't just mention Kevin Kelly. And now he's like, dude, these people don't even know my life, but there's so many podcasts of his, but I think he married a Chinese woman and he, he go, keeps going back there every couple months is, Oh, maybe that's, I really got to check. I'm not going to talk anymore. I know um, his his wife works at some research lab and she gets sabbaticals every so often. Probably a different person might have to actually cut this. All right. No, no, no. That's so, that's too bad. Go on. I'll find that podcast that I'm talking about then. But, uh, but everyone makes mistakes just so long as you know that. Kevin, I liked everything else about you. (laughs) What I wanted to say with travel is, We've probably gone, I mean, we did our, our spring breaks, like we didn't do the traditional go to Miami or, or like some Cancun type place. We went to crazy places like Peru, China. Uh, I don't know. We always do these travels cheapest all over Cheapest tickets Europe. we could find in the world. It was the absolute cheapest Literally, thing we could do. $400 round trip to China, like <laughs> insane type stuff like that. And it's probably cost us maybe, I mean, I, I like to splurge a lot, so maybe ten thousand dollars at most for maybe. an absurd amount of traveling. Uh, like, I don't know how much. I wouldn't even. I mean, Kilimanjaro was our craziest. That was like four grand, five grand, right? So maybe I'm seven talking or eight. about my entire life's travel. Okay, everything. Sure, point. ten grand. Yeah, and whatever. I made that working part time in college. So it's like there, <laughs> there's literally like, and Henry's. We talked about his side hustle before on previous podcasts, but you can make this money. And just kind of sustain yourself doing crazy travels. And we could do it much cheaper than we have. But uh, but I think that's so important. Just get out of your town. Don't be the townie that sticks there forever and just thinks of the said, world um, is a scary place. Was it Ramit who said, nine, I think it was Naval, somebody, 99% of people never really leave high school. <laughs> think about that. Sounds that sounds like a Naval thing. but I just think, yeah, of the, of the people I know... A lot of that's true. A lot of that is, oh no, it was Aubrey Marcus uh, and Gary V. Gary V said it. God, all these podcasts blur together. That's what I'm but saying. It, it's, it's true in the human sense that um, that's kind of like, I don't know, it's tribalism and, and groupish behavior and a whole bunch of other things. Okay, should we move on from voluntary simplicity? We could do 10 podcasts on that. How do you practice voluntary simplicity? I know you're living at home. That's one. Well, here's, here's my... I think we'll just do a little bit longer podcast than normal on this one. Um, unless there's, I don't know how much. Let's hit 45 and then I got to run. All right. So I've been struggling with this voluntary simplicity because I really want to live in New York. 
because I like having all those people around me and just like, I don't know, I hate going to clubs, but I like talking to people in the streets ideally and it's, it's just hard and like your hometown or something like that. So I really want to be there. But what I found like you, we had the episode with Ice, I think episode number 19, where we talked about how I just lived on a pool 40, didn't pay anything in rent that summer. And granted, not everyone has awesome friends like that will that will let them do that for an entire summer. But that's been a struggle for me is like, how do I make it to New York and still like that requires significant income. So that I've been struggling with. Yeah, I don't have an answer. What I do know, though, is so many kids are age. you're saving money. Well, no, you're okay. You're kind of saving money now. I was going to, but you know, you left your job. Um, So many kids our age, like the first thing they do when they graduate college, it's probably because we were at college but they just want to move out immediately. These are kids with awesome homes, awesome parents, parents happy to have them back, excited to have them back. And the first thing they do is move out. And I think that's like item number one in voluntary simplicity. If you can live at home and you can tolerate living at home and it's a safe place to live, why are you not saving the $1,100 a month? This was you for a long time, paying New York prices. If you could have, if you had heard this podcast before the last year, do you think you would have stayed at home and saved the 20, 25 grand? Uh, I know you love New York. It's tough. I, I kind of liked it as an experiment just to see what it was like, like how much it actually cost. Now I know I have to hit $70,000 a year if I want my own, at least like my own bedroom in New York City right. or in Manhattan specifically. But uh, I don't know. I think it's it's good to sample for a little bit just to see like, all right, this is what it's like. Maybe you don't actually like it. Like before you commit, that's why I like renting because it's just super. I actually did a, what do they call it? Sublease. So I did like a seven month sublease, which worked out perfectly because it ended right as coronavirus started. So I, I was mm-hmm. able to leave New York without losing money. But uh, but yeah, just low commitment. See if you like it. And I, I know that now that like I have to be there basically. But I also like exploring the rest of the world. And, uh, and what's kind of cool is when I was in Argentina doing my homestay, I stayed with this family and the mom was maybe like in her fifties or sixties, but she had a son that was like 27 living at home. And not to say like, you don't, you don't have to live like fucking a decade with your mom, but it's cool because he's able to save all this money and experiment with his, his music projects, et cetera. Maybe his relationship life is a little bit tricky, but um, spending a little bit of time at home, I think that's one of the big traits that we'd see in successful entrepreneurs is just uh, grind it out. Yeah. I think if you can spend, if, if we were graduating again, and if you're listening to this and you're graduating, if you can spend two years at home, if you can and come out of that with an extra $25,000 from living expenses, I think you're going to be way ahead for a lifetime having that lump sum of money. I feel like people our age that just go into the market and from the get-go, kind of living paycheck to paycheck and rent payment to rent payment, I feel like you're going to be behind for so long just trying to keep up. That's something I've been fortunate is like I built this wealth during college. I've saved and saved and saved and I've lived at home for the last year building, building, saving, saving. And now I feel like I have this small mountain beneath me where I can take out a line of credit here. I can take this risk here. I can start this venture and get the studio and buy the van 
because I've got this bed underneath me. And I think if you go and you're just paying rent and paying rent and paying rent, you're, it's going to take much longer to start doing that stuff. And part of it is because I live so simply. That's part of the problem with this whole crisis is people don't have $500. Two thirds of people don't have $500 of savings. in their Yeah, that's exactly $500 is it. nothing. And you should have at least three months, ideally six months plus of reserve because the amount of freedom that that grants you where you have no pressure. Like if you owned a house right now and it was at like the top of your budget and you're, you're basically house poor and then you lose your job. I mean, I can't imagine the pressures. that Everything is linked to that one payment. Right. And then you're not but, eating right. And then you're not, you know, able to get gas for your car. So I, I, I do think I basically living at home, I, I've really come around because I've already saved five grand just living at home. And it's like, now that's, that's basically five that's months, three of months of like emergency. Yeah. yeah. Right. Or whatever you want to spend it on or just have in the back in, in the bank, because now you, you can do whatever, or you can go on some experiments like that would pay for literally a year of travel. Mm-hmm. If you went to whatever mo- motorcycle around Thailand or wherever you so want to go. Important. Uh, so I don't but know. I'm, not everyone can do that. And I understand that. Um, but it is curious to me why two, what is it? Two thirds of people don't have $500 saved. I think that was, I'm pretty sure that's an accurate statistic. I've heard that. I've heard that. It's jarring. Um, But yeah, that's what I've been doing the last year. Let's move on from voluntary simplicity. Um, I have two two more big topics. Please. Uh, Well, I know, I'm curious what, in terms of the Amish part, what what was your takeaway there? It's just funny because in my head, you know, I've been in a lot of Amish communities. Um, I've kind of seen the thing, you know, you drive down the street and there's buggies. I've seen them literally building houses by hand, the whole community. What I thought was so interesting was like, he's lived it and he's like, they're not what you think. Like they're hackers. They are really selective in the technology they bring into their circle to make sure that it keeps their community tight knit, right? That's why they don't have cars. Like you should be not able to go too far and stay in town and shop with your neighbors and, um, so their sense of community, I think, is something we're missing. And I just thought it was funny how like jerry-rigged their stuff, like they're running sewing machines off what air compressors, like something. But he's like, they're brilliant hackers. And I just thought that was really cool because I thought they were one thing and they're clearly not. Yeah, I, I mean, for those, I, I guess he he's connected somehow, like he has an Amish what do they call that? A uh, beard or whatever beard, it is, where you head. don't have the mustache. And apparently, it's because I don't know if it's Vietnam or sometime like all the uh, military men would have mustaches. So uh-huh. it was like their their pacifist version of that. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Somehow he's he's connected, and he'll, he'll go back and spend time with the Amish. But that is cool. Like everything that they screen through, like at the time of this podcast that we're talking about there was a fierce debate over cell phones and whether like that's going to like have too much outside world and detract from the tight knit family sort of uh, town culture that they have. And everything goes through that lens of like, or that, that um, I don't know, criterion of does this bring us closer together or farther apart? And that's really cool. And I I do like to, he, well, (laughs) he talks about, this is what I'm curious, your take uh, families, like the Amish, he thinks they're going to take over the world because they have so many kids and in general people with all this urbanization were 
having fewer and fewer Less. kids. Yeah. And, uh, and so what, I mean, you grew up with two siblings. Yeah. So okay. That, that was interesting for me. The, the sibling thing. First, I want to quickly circle back. I thought it was so important. He was like us in this kind of first world. We never, we have TVs and watches and smartphones and laptops, but we never ask why we have those things. And he's like, the Amish do. And the intent for the things they have is what's so important. But right. Oh, I, I like that point now. I, I forgot about yeah. it. But yeah, everything we just kind of wake up with it. Right. I'm, I'm looking at my niece who's two and she's just like playing on a smartphone and knows how to use it better than my mom. Yeah. And I'm like, like she has no idea. It's just like, it just, it spawned there and now she's using it, but you never see, Oh, is this helping me? Like, is this helping with the values that I have? And they, they, Seems like the Amish got that. that. Um, in terms of the world domination thing, I'm not that alarmist about that kind of stuff. I did think it was interesting, though, what they were saying about siblings and having kids. And if you have opportunities and privilege, their reason for having more kids. But I was actually curious to ask you, I grew up with two siblings, which I thought was wonderful, right? We taught each other things, especially my youngest sister. We entertained one another. We were all learning together. You were more or less an only child, right? Yeah, I have a half brother who's 19 years old than me. Did you ever live together? 42. Uh, No, no. He had his own house at like 19 or something. Oh, that's right. Um, So totally different life. I'm basically an only child. And yeah, I I, honestly, I was talking with Kevin, one of our friends too. Maybe he's listening to this, but we're playing sports. And like if I had a, a brother or just some sister that was into sports and like, I feel like I would be an amazing athlete because I've just been throwing balls at the wall for years yeah. and if that was a human throw, ball extraordinaire <laughs> right <laughs> luckily my dad was super into it and he'd just throw his out arm out playground throwing balls at the wall and he's always trying to pick up someone to play with him never did oh, but i think dude. it was a totally different childhood this isn't this doesn't relate much but one of my my most uh poignant memories from fourth grade which is when i my parents got divorced and i moved schools and i come to the school where i didn't have any friends i just walked out to recess and like, I'm the wall ball extraordinaire, right? And they're all playing wall ball. But I'm just too scared. Don't know any of them. I don't know how to get into the game. So I just stare at them and just start bawling my eyes out and then run back inside. That makes me so sad. Real sad. So maybe it's better to not be an only child because then you'll have a brother or a sister that will also change schools with you. And in, it won't in, be yeah, right. Yeah, there was a time when like my sister was in kindergarten and I was in fourth grade. And, you know, I'd, having that kind of responsibility to like pick her up at the end of the day and bring her out. Um I think having siblings too in that vein, it gave me like a lot of confidence to stick up for myself and to join in on things and to put myself out there because, you know, I'd have to go do that if I wanted to play with my brother and his friends. Like, hey, can I play? And it sounds like as sad as it is, um, you, you just like never had to practice that or never had experience with like joining others, at least at home. And so when it was yeah, then across to- your path switching schools, it was like this really difficult thing. I know that people like one of my friends, he had an older sister and she went off to college and then all the attention was on him and he, he like, he couldn't handle it. Like both parents eyes always on him. Like it's a weird thing. And I've, I have weird issues like bringing up relationships with my parents and stuff where I feel like if I had other siblings, like I wouldn't, I don't know. It's just really weird for me. I have a lot of these weird little mental tics about stuff like that but i think in general yeah like uh multiple kids he was talking even about like seven kids and it's like how do people have families with seven kids or whatever but they end up raising each other like kind of like what you said you just yeah. learn from one another 
I've and seen it in dogs too. Like my grandma had two dogs. I feel like the older dog, when she got the puppy, taught the younger one like how to go to the bathroom outside and like what to do when the mailman comes up to the door. It, it, it's interesting to see it at such a fundamental level in dogs. And I think we lived it as kids. So, well, um, luckily, I think the one benefit was my parents saved a lot of money for college for me. So I had less debt. So I guess. Wait, they saved a lot of money. What? My headphones came out. I had more money because it wasn't split two ways. Yeah. yeah. I, I I'm sure. I think a kid's like 15 or 20 grand a year. Um, money, money, money. What was part three about? I was driving the van and I was having acceleration problems. I think I zoned out for a bit. It, it all blends together. I mean, I, I liked those. I know they were talking about favorite books. Oh, well, that was about the book library and yeah. just all the how-to books. Kevin Kelly actually... Kevin Kelly's website is kk.org. He has a whole list of his Thank favorite documentaries. God, he didn't have the third K. It's a terrible yeah, joke, that, but that one was taken. too close for comfort. Easy. Yeah, so just two. Only put two. We'll link it. But he's got like all these reviews for, I don't know, a thousand documentaries or whatever. He recommends highly Man on Wire. Which <gasps> I was going to ask you, have you seen it? I don't think I have properly. <laughs> Watch it this weekend. Okay. It's freaking crazy. I uh, do I need to watch it with like three D glasses or something? I feel what? like what? No, why? <laughs> was that the movie or was that a movie? Oh, they made it into a movie, but the documentary. Okay, I, I think they did a, a movie about. version. Was this with between the, the like, twin towers? Vietnam? Yeah, he walked a tightrope between the twin towers. They made a movie on this, and it was three D. Haven't seen it. Okay, just watch yeah. the documentary this weekend. It's crazy. Um, you see everything from like day one, I want to walk between the towers to all of his practicing to all the mess ups to them. Finally, like you won't believe, you won't believe what it took to get there. And if it happened, I'm not going to spoil it. It's mind numbing. Yeah. All right. I'll check that out. I'm sure if you go there, you'll see some other cool documentaries that you'll like, uh, his book actually, he's got some book recommendations, um, in that podcast, oh, yeah. I believe, especially I just, for people our age, like trying to find it was some graphic novel. I missed the name. Again, I was like, sweating bullets. Hold on, I have it right here because I just ordered it. Uh, Johnny Bunko, The Adventures of Johnny Bunko, The Adventures of Johnny Bunko. Yeah, by Daniel H. Pink. It's oh, uh, yeah, my, yeah, Daniel Pink's got a ton of books. I've read none of them, but I'd like to. Yeah, so we'll see. I'll let you know how that goes, but he recommended highly. Tim Ferriss knew about it too, so we'll see how it is. But I think it's good for people our age. And uh, and yeah, I mean, that's those are the main takeaways. Probably voluntary simplicity has been the biggest changer, game changer for us. Clearly, Henry's bought a, a Sprinter van. Day so. one. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, I am talking to a good hometown friend who's got some uh, writing aspirations. And we'll see you then. But Belky, anything else before we sign off? That's it. Practice voluntary simplicity to, today, even if it's in what you're eating for the next meal. Uh, just realize you can practice this and be comfortable with less. It is possible. And listen to the real podcast because I don't even know if his wife's Chinese. All right. Bye. <laughs>